I know that there's certain stories about fairies, and if you pick a bluebell, you are murdered. Oh no, 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 no. Whole thing about going there at the wrong time of day when it's getting dark, and you just get trapped in some fairy realm, and you're never coming back. And you know, yeah. I've never heard about that, but <laughs> now I'll definitely never go to bluebells at night. <laughs> I just hear about people who. People are saying, where's that person gone? Oh, must have gone to the woods at night. Fairies, the fairies got them. Hello, and welcome to Wildest Guys Podcast. My name's Nick Patel. I'm a birder, a conservationist, person of colour with a big passion for passerines. This is the place where we talk birds, wildlife, and all the hard-hitting conservation topics on the top of everyone's minds right now. This week, joining us on the podcast is Kerry Gardner. Kerry is a naturalist, an artist, and writer from Devon. Between her passion and love for the natural world and her spiritual connection to the land we walk on and drive to protect it, her enthusiasm for the beauty in the countryside and all who dwell in it is truly admirable. We had a great chat about all things woodlands, spiritual grounding to the landscape, scrubland, and even wild daffodils thrown in there as well. I hope you enjoy this one. Kerry was a delight to chat to and so much fun to have on the podcast. Make sure to check out her Instagram page for the amazing artwork she creates, portraying some of the best local wildlife. And here's your reminder to stick till the end for your weekly dose of Nature Notes of the Week, where I divulge the latest and greatest up-to-date seasonal wildlife to be on the lookout for during this week. Next week, we're speaking to the super, super amazing Joe Montes de Oca, all the way from Miami, Florida. Get yourself ready for a cracker. Joe's knowledge of the glades and the surrounding areas is so, so interesting and super captivating. We chat all about the birds, bugs and more from the southern Florida marshlands, as well as the wildlife which finds itself in the urban areas of Miami. So keep your eyes peeled for this one. It's going to be an epic one. Right, without further ado, let's get into it. One, two, Okay, so this week we're speaking to Kerry Gardner, who is an artist, a writer, and a naturalist from Devon. Whether it be your intricate stone art, or your mystical woodland photography, or landscape pastel work, your deep spiritual connection to the ancient habitats of the UK, and the natural world around the southwest, and your fearsome passion for protecting it, These are all things which I'd associate with yourself. But how would you describe yourself? Oh, you've done a really good sum up of me there. Um, (laughs) I'd I'd agree I'm an artist and writer and I am hugely interested in the natural world. I'm just fascinated by it. And I think that I'm so fascinated by it that I really struggle to ever see it kind of get obliterated or, you know, used in any way other than just to be in awe by it. Like, you know, yeah. awed by it, by it. I, I just, yeah, I, I just don't understand. I don't get it. But, you know, people yeah. like, you know, smash it up and make money out of it. I yeah. think, you know, it's, 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 it's spent millions of years becoming this incredible ecosystem. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, so I just feel, you know, like we're mad to want to destroy it in any way. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. I completely agree with that. I don't, I really find it bizarre how out of touch people can be 
with the natural world. And you sometimes think, how are we going to get those people to improve, you know, their outlook and what they can do to help nature if they're so out of touch? I think we've still got a long way. Uh, how do you sort of feel conservation in the UK is going at the minute? Do you think, you know, amongst, the, especially amongst the general public, do you think things are going to be getting better soon or do you think it's a long way off? I think you have to be optimistic about it because, I mean, sometimes it can be very disheartening and you can just think we have got, you know, we're just going in the wrong direction. But I mean, yeah. like I get these little moments with people where, you know, I, I can be having a really bad day and thinking it's going really badly. And then I'll walk past uh, a group of teenage boys somewhere and they're delicately yeah. picking up like a bumblebee off the floor and trying to like put it yeah, out yeah. of arms way and stuff. So I think, you know, like it's it's not, we're not beyond, but I also know what you mean. I do think that, you know, if you watch people en masse a lot of the time, mm -hmm. there's not all that much care and consideration. But then at the same time, I think, you know, but it's not being taught, is it, anywhere really? Yeah, Unless it's the you've education, got, isn't it? Yeah, unless you've got kind of the um, the fortune to go to a forest school or to have a bit more kind of, of an eco-minded education system or your parents are like it or someone, you know, someone who's close to yeah. you, you don't know any different, do you? So, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm that way and I've always been that way inclined. And also my mum has helped me a lot with that as a, as a child. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, so to me, it comes naturally. But I, I imagine with other people who haven't got parents or guardians who are like that, they just don't know. So I shouldn't be so kind of... Yeah critical of them because it's not actually their fault um they just haven't been told any different you know yeah that's completely the way i see it I, it can be so easy to point the finger at general joe blogs but you know schools and and media and stuff and all trickling down from the government um yeah. that's where it needs to change oh, but yes. would, would you sort of agree i sort of feel like people just aren't as naturally connected to nature as as much like i feel like you particularly you're very one with nature um you know it, you can tell and it's really nice um i'm trying and more and more to you know become like that but i think people are just really detached and that we have to break that barrier to yeah before we can do anything else yeah yeah i agree i think um I don't know. People seem very they, people seem very frightened as well. They seem scared of things that there's no need to be scared of, like spiders. Sorry yeah. if you are, I doubt you are, but you might be. I don't know. You know, I am. Like, I am. Well, yeah. See, like that stuff yeah. like that. Like it kind of it, it's in you. You know, yeah. it's silly, but yeah, yeah. And just it is silly. But... Have got, what have you got a reason for yours? Did you have like a parent who was scared of them or something? It's interesting you say that because I have a few fears that are definitely trickled down from parents um oh. spiders it's yeah spiders I, I don't think i'd be able to pinpoint and the thing is i absolutely love insects and arachnids i absolutely love you know butterflies moths uh flies and things um but uh, yeah a lot of creepy crawlies still really uh it's, it's interesting because whilst a lot of nature tv does really good uh watching certain nature tv when i was younger you know, maybe things like life in the undergrowth and stuff like that. There's certain parts of it that really got to me, I think. And I, yeah, I mean, tick, obvious things like ticks and horseflies. I'm oh, ho scared oh, of them just because of, of what they represent. <laughs> horseflies are just arrogant as well. You know, they will chase <laughs> you and they have a vendetta against you. <laughs> they bloody hurt as well. They really yeah. hurt. 
And have you ever well, seen one of those massive ones, those big clegs, you know, the really big, they're like an inch. Are they only up north or are they down south as well? I'm not sure because it was up north, north north where I saw one, but that was scary because I was thinking if that bit you, that would be, yeah. A full inch, seriously? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, I, I react really badly to them anyway when they're small, so an inch size mm. one, would, I would, okay, now that I'd be scared of because I know it hurts, so, you know. <laughs> but like the spider thing, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's quite irrational, but, um, you know, at least I have the appreciation for them. And I'm trying to learn more about spiders by, you know, learning different species and, and their habitats and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think you're right. People um, in that sort of way are quite dissociated with, with a lot of, of wildlife. And I, I think a lot of wildlife still gets really bad rep, you yeah, know, um, round here, you know, we've got loads of adders and people still think and talk about them negatively when they should be such oh. a positive thing, you know? Adders are awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're absolutely <laughs> cool. beautiful for a start. Like, yeah. they're like, they're like jewels, aren't they? With these bright red yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah. And like, they're yeah. not going to go after you. They're not out no, to no, get no. They're more likely just slither away. It's just unfortunate if you, you know, but I suppose, I think it's all just, it's like years and years worth of it, isn't it? Of people just speaking negatively about certain species and it just sort of becomes part of the culture. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah. it's, yeah, in that case, it is. I always go back to this, but it's about changing the mindsets of people. And yeah, we've got to sort of start from a blank canvas, I suppose, haven't we? And yeah. uh, it is difficult when people have that ingrained sort of culture of, you know, like lawns and things, you know, people are doing it because they think it's, or they've been told that it's right. And why change? Um, but yeah, you've got to break that down. And um, just briefly, because it's in the news at the minute, I'm really, really intrigued to know everything of your views on HS2. Oh, I haven't been keeping up with the news very much, but mm. from, from the onset, I just thought what a ridiculous thing HS2 was because mm. it, I mean, nobody asked for it. It was costing God knows how much. It wasn't, isn't it millions and millions? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A ridiculous amount of money. It doesn't really help you out getting anywhere that much quicker. It's going to be really Definitely. expensive to get tickets, so it's not going to help like congestion on roads <laughs> or anything. And then they yeah. went and basically put it straight the way through uh, ancient forests, people's back gardens, yep. and I just thought, "What? Yep. Oh, I know what you're talking about." And they've now discovered that surprise, surprise, more wildlife has been harmed by it. Than yes. They thought. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Obviously, obviously. Every they just they get away with going through every loophole they can, and I just. It for me, like it's in the news, but HS2 is such a like a metaphor for the government and conservation at the minute. And yeah, it's sad. But yeah, it's it's one of those topics where I think it's it could be a really good platform, you know, for the sort of in terms of the media bringing about more conservation oh. messages to light. But I, at the same time, it could be really bad as well. I think there's there's that sort of up and down of conservation in the media at the moment you know with even though some of the most aggressive protesters at the moment are should be shone on positively you know it's still coming out as negative in the media and it's giving conservation and environmentalism a bad name um which is <laughs> how we're we supposed to get anywhere when that is the case it's ridiculous i know it's anything not to disturb the status quo isn't it 
You know, yeah. things have been a certain way for so long. But I, I find mm. that really, really like a really blinkered way of looking at the world because I think, think of all the possibilities that come about if people do change and you do do things differently. I, I can't yeah. believe that like this is like the height of where everyone wants to get to and this is where we're all going to be, you know, people can't afford to put their heating on. There's no wildlife yeah. left, you know, everyone's miserable. This isn't the peak of it, is it? This is like, why would you want to stay here? It could be so much nicer. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just mad. It's just, it's baffling, really. And I think even the whole mentality of where we're working towards is wrong. Because really, the whole HS2 thing is sort of driving down on this, like, everything's faster. Everything's, like, more, you know, work-focused. And, yeah, we're, you know, we've got to be aiming more towards that sort of, like, Scandinavian feel of, like, we're relaxing more. You know, we're already stressed and burnt out you know we need to relax more we need to shorten the working week and we need to increase productivity and stuff like that um stress levels are only going to get worse if we're encouraged to work longer and get there faster and <laughs> it just makes sense it's mad isn't it i uh, think I, I i do you have you heard of a, um, an artist called john Merlaws? yes yeah. yeah i know him yeah he, he said something about uh love is sustained attention or, or words to that effect and i think it's so yeah. true because you can only really love something if you give your attention to it and then you know more and more about it and you know and you, you bond with it and everything and you can only yeah. pay attention for a long period of time if you've got yeah. time to do it if you're completely busy all the time rushing you can see why everyone's so cross and act like, you know, everyone's rushing around you've got to get here get yeah. the kids there do this da, 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 da. you've got no yeah. time to sit down and appreciate no it time. Have you? like like so no. and, and if anybody gets in your way as well in the pro in the process of you going about your business, you know, yeah. you get angry at them because they're slowing you down. You've only got five minutes yeah. square because you've got to go over there. And it's madness. I just think just, yeah. and you do get more done if you slow down. That's a silly thing. And you do it better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Like, you know, like I mean, it's, it's, yeah. How how are we going to focus or get people to focus on conservation or begin to appreciate the natural world if they don't have the time? <laughs> Like that's, that's very difficult isn't it you can't yeah, yeah. You can't. yeah. and another thing which has been in the news recently which i know that you're particularly passionate about yeah is right to roam mm. and dartmoor yeah so i don't know a huge amount about this right to roam is something i'm only learning more and more about so would you be able to describe a little bit about what it's about yeah, I. it's funny. The first barrier you come up with when you mention right to roam, and I can see people's point of view with this, is they say that if you have everybody walking across the countryside all the time, that will disrupt lots of wildlife, um, especially if people have got kind of dogs running around everywhere and, you know, that kind of that kind of thing of barbecues yeah. burning things down. So I can I can completely see the concern. <laughs> but, and I felt like it a little bit myself to begin with. But when I thought about it, I thought, like I say, if you want people to care about things, they have to be able to see it, experience it and have and give their attention to it. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're if you're locked out from everywhere. The other side of it that when I've worked as an ecologist and because I've been an ecologist, I've been in kind of lots of farmland and places like that, which would otherwise be out of bounds. Yeah. And. Also, I, where I live at the moment, I'm allowed to walk around the farmland near where our house is because I know the farmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you see things on that land that you wouldn't see otherwise because there's no public footpaths through there. And yeah. you kind of realise how it's being treated 
not everywhere obviously because some some you know farmers and some landowners do a very good job but other ones don't yeah. and when when you start seeing it you realize that other people aren't seeing this because they haven't got the ability to get to these spaces and if they yeah. saw what was happening i think more people would be more inclined to kind of think well you know we need to do something about this because that's not right that they're dumping asbestos there that's not right that they're you know killing yeah. multiple different animals on the sly and um, that's not right that you know i've seen some of the birds i've seen shot um on farmland mm. or you know just you see some not very nice things and i think so yeah the reason i kind of stand with the right to roam movement is because i think for a start Oh the, oh, the other thing as well, I think everybody thinks that if everyone's allowed right to roam, it will be like lockdown when we first got released the first time around. Well, yeah. it won't be like that because not everybody's going to come out en masse, will spread around. The reason it seems so bad at lockdown is because you're only allowed out to certain places. We were all funneled, weren't we, into yeah. like beauty spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of course, and with loads of people who don't really know how to behave in the countryside. So of course it was a, yeah. like, it was a chaotic, terrible thing. You know, it, it was bound yeah. to be. But if but yeah. it won't be like that for a start. Lots of those people probably won't want to go there much anyway because that's not really their mm -hmm. thing. It's fair enough; they can go wherever else they want to go. Yeah. And then you know, and then everyone will be more spread out. I do think there will be disruption in some respects, which you know, in which case, you know, people need to be told, you know, don't go here because there's curlews nesting there at this time of year or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but generally speaking, I mean, they get away with it in Scandinavia and Scotland. And there's plenty of wildlife in those places. So I, yeah, I yeah. why like down here, we're all just, and it, it's always frustrated me ever since I was a teenager, actually, that I could only yeah. walk one particular path. You know, and there'd yeah. be like miles and miles of land that you can't go on. And yeah. I'm just trying to go just here where everyone else goes. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's, like a um, it's bound to frustrate everybody, isn't it? Because you can't spread yeah. out. Yeah, I just, I think that the right to roam thing is really important. You need to get people out so they can see what's happening for a start out in the countryside yeah. and so they can engage with it. Yeah, perfect. I, I love seeing your passion about it. It's just, it's, yeah, that would encourage me more and more to learn more and more about it. I, I'm trying my best to. Um, one thing that you mentioned about farmers, this is something which drives me nuts is, Okay, so I'm going to try and avoid any generalizations here because there are some incredible farmers. There are, there really are. There are some average farmers and there's some awful farmers. And I'm talking about the awful farmers. <clears throat> what really winds me up is how there's the attitude of they're out of the way so they can get away with whatever. Where we used to live, it's very unlikely they'll listen to this podcast, but I'll be trying. <laughs> this. Where we used to live in North Yorkshire, oh, we oh. were in the right in the sticks and it was intensive, mostly arable farming, uh, a little bit of pastoral. And some of the things I saw were horrendous. But if you went to any of those farms around there, or even the village there, no one would care if you told them what was happening on that farm because it's the done thing. And because they're so far removed from normal society, they can do what they want because even by the time you reported it, which I'll say in a minute what I did report, it doesn't matter. You know, either the people who get there to look at it, it's changed or it's gone or yeah, 
you just don't get anyone coming out to have a look. I saw things like a burning of piles of plastic. Yeah. Um, I've seen hedges just ripped out and, you know, pesticides blowing in the wind into ditches. And basically they've got that sort of, yeah, I'm not going to get too passionate about it, but they've got that sort of godlike um, attitude because they've been getting away with things for so long. And in that respect, bringing more people into those areas to bring those issues to light would be an amazing thing because like you say some of those people might have been to nature reserves or something or you know even just nicer areas on the edge of a city and they think ah this is what nature is exactly and then once they see or for example if you go onto grouse moor you know if they go up there and see yeah yeah i could i could really see the benefit of um more people seeing those sort of things yeah. but it's terrible isn't it some of the things they get away with oh this this is this has been my worry for ages i just think that like you say people go to like if they go for a nice walk they go to like a country park or they go to a nature reserve and if they go to those places they'll probably see a fair bit of nature and they'll think oh all is well in the countryside um yeah. but if you actually live out in it and you watch like it, it uh, i know and i know i've got to be careful here because for a long time i've kind of been a bit uh, negative towards farmers but really it's not the farmers it's the government the farmers have been asked yeah. to up production and stuff since when the 1950s or something and really the autonomy of farming has sort of been removed from them to the government they tell them what to do and they've yeah. just been doing it so really like they've just been doing what they're told to get subsidies and stuff and to you know to get paid to feed their families so but i think um I kind of I think there is a divide though because you get these amazing farmers who really do care about their their patch. You know they really care about yeah, it. They do best yeah. they possibly can for that. But I feel like the really bad ones kind of piggyback off the good work these guys are yeah. doing. Yeah, and, yeah. And so if you try and if you try and kind of argue with the ones that are doing awful things, they're yeah. like, oh no, no, they all like you know they kind of try and hang out with this crew, and I don't think that's really fair. I mean, like where we live, there's a lot of um dairy farming. So there's yeah. going to be a lot of slurry and you can imagine where that all ends up. Um, yeah. I mean, the local river is in an absolutely atrocious state and it's all because of slurry. It's not people yeah. go on about the sewage, but it's mainly slurry where I am. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I think like just, oh, I don't know, I, I, I try and put myself in that mind. Like I think if someone told you that's the way you're going to get paid, would you do it? Or would you just say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'd rather be poor than do yeah. that. It must be it must be really difficult to be in their situation. But part of yeah. me thinks part of me thinks like if someone said to me, no, you've got to grub up that hedgerow to make your field bigger or something, a spray of pesticides, I'd be like, but that sounds bonkers. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would I want to put poison on food? I don't, I don't, you know, that doesn't make sense at all. I mean, so, I so many of those things when you think about them are too much. They yeah just don't make sense at all but it comes back to the education again doesn't it and and sort of talking to people like we were saying with um like kids and stuff talking to them and encouraging them to do the right thing because they've just they like you say they learn off their neighbors or or whatever who's been doing it for so long and it's like the lawns and people's gardens again it's, it's just what they know and yeah, yeah unfortunately it's criminal what a lot of people do get away with. But yeah, I was just going to say something about farms. I love Can't it when a thought does that. <laughs> yeah. In terms, of, in terms of conservation, what sort of things are you quite passionate about at the moment? 
like what that is there certain things which are in your head quite a lot of the time um or which sort of bother you um yeah what sort of things are you uh, sort of driving you at the moment uh conservation wise i really wish that people would just that we all would just leave everything a bit more on the wild side yeah you know, like you're saying with lawns and stuff just that people could just yeah. leave a little bit of their gardens a bit wilder mm. um yeah. i'm heartbroken by everyone's attitude towards scrub uh i think that obviously in some places it's no good if you've got wildflowers and that kind of thing and it's like a, i've got know, i've got scrub yeah. written down here okay. i saw it on, you, on your website and <laughs> i was like that's really random but i'm also really intrigued why one of her interests is scrub so please explain your well, you know, you know, you know, like when, like about scrub, like it's like that kind of habitat that seems it's amazing. It's yeah, missing. I completely agree. Yeah, 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 it's missing. It's so either woods got... or yeah. meadow. Meadow. Like, there's no in between. And yeah. the, but the in between, if you watch, like just just here, right? I'm currently in a place where there's like it's it's, a, it's an estate basically, but this yeah. garden has got a load of big trees out the back. It's got like um fir trees and beech trees, and then mm. on this side you can't see it from here, but there's like a hedges effectively which which are like thick dense hedges and it's effectively yeah. like scrub and there's a bit of bramble yeah. and stuff and ivy and everything and all yeah, the yeah. birds that i've seen in there i've seen like gold crests there's long-tailed tits all yeah. the tits are in there actually there's a little chip chap yeah. female black cap they're all in that Amazing. bit and if you watch what yeah. they like they need cover don't they it's kind of obvious yeah, definitely like, all times of year yeah yeah there's food there I, think, I think scrub comes back to that sort of things looking beautiful and you know even though there's definitely been more of a push in terms of conservation for things like woodland and meadows they're still very beautiful habitats yeah. and yeah. you know people will give funding for things like that and communities will give the go-ahead for stuff like that i think scrub particularly bramble scrub is still <laughs> technically seen as such a, a a messy approach you know and it's it's one of those things where we have to remove that from our brains. We have to sort of say that actually, that is such important habitat for a lot of things. Yeah, I love bramble so much. When we first moved to where we where we're living at the moment, there was like a kind of a very low brambly hedge that had obviously been cut very low and kept very low for a long time. And we've left it to grow up, and it's about it's taller than me now. And when we first moved there, we never had house sparrows. Now we've got yeah. house sparrows. We get bullfinches going along with feeding along with it all through the winter. Wow. So gorgeous, you know, salmon pink, the males and the females and everything. Like and phenomenal. It, I, and, I, and I always notice whenever I walk anywhere, if you get a big load of brambles, that tends to be where all the birds are. They're all hanging out in there because they're yeah. safe. That's yeah, so just think about it. Spring, birds are singing off it. Yeah. Like summer, birds are nesting in it. Yeah. Autumn, feeding on the berries. And winter, it's cover. And there's loads of insects in there because it's a bit warmer. It's got everything. And also, it's yeah. great fun. if you want to go and make jam, it's yeah. perfect for you yeah. as well, like for foraging. Yeah. So, like, why would you want perfect. to get rid of it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? It is bonkers, isn't it? And bramble's such an incredible plant. Like, it's... Have you, have you seen the sort of videos of, like, it growing? It grows so fast. And, and... Oh, no, but I can imagine. I can imagine. It yeah. is. It's a, I mean, it really... I can see... I can also see why people get a bit, like, ooh, bramble, because it once it gets in and gets yeah. under the ground, it gets everywhere, doesn't it? I yeah. Mean, I mean, from, we... from a previous manager of paths and things, it is a nightmare. Yeah. But you have to take... I always take my hat off to anything which is successful, apart from humans, but um, anything which is successful... And it is just naturally doing its thing. You've got to give it credit because, yeah, so many things are struggling, and then Bramble's just like, 
everywhere. Yeah, and also I, what I like about it too is you can go anywhere. Like you can go into like a manicured garden, like, yeah, and yeah. you can nearly always find one little bit of it trying to come back, can't you? Smell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's always trying. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's um, why I like scrub. I think it's an incredible habitat, and I I wish yeah. it was given more of a chance. Really, I love that. I love that because something I have always had in my head, and I don't know where it comes from, is and it start started with birds. But I've always had a huge love for, and this is going to be the wrong term for it, but I've always just coined it as this in my head ugly birds so i've always liked ugly wildlife and it's made me appreciate a lot more but also in that respect it makes me look at habitats completely differently because um you know you look at a rolling hill and that meadow which is super good and super rich and you know it's it's a limey meadow and during this time of year it's very dormant but it's also very brown and, and muddy looking and if that was a really fertile, intensive pasture for dairy cattle, it'd be green. <laughs> so it, it's they all go in this sort of thinking, you know. We have to turn off our brain to thinking everything has to be pretty or picturesque. And um, I think we have to redefine the term green completely. Yeah. Um, and scrub really just falls into that, to be honest, because, yeah. yeah. It, it shouldn't just be that, oh, I just remembered there was a terrible, where we used to live on the Wirral, you've probably seen it in, in like conservation news, but Hoy Lake Beach, basically, if you were to look at it, if you were to stand there or look at it on a map, it's just a beach and it's got like the typical sort of promenade and it's got, you know, retirement houses beside it. And because of the way the tide works there and because it's quite muddy, this stretch of beach every year slowly and slowly tries to become more of a salt marsh. Ah. And, but for years, the community oh. have got together with the council to spray everything off and to recover it with sand <laughs> because, and this, these are the exact words that they use. They want it to be a nice golden beach how does that make any sense you know you've got this salt marsh which is trying to come up which every year supports thousands of dunlin and snow buntings and things like that as well as rare salt marsh, salt marsh plants and people still want a boring sandy beach and mostly to look at they don't even want to go on it they want it to look at yeah <sighs> that's where that that sort of pretty versus good for nature really it's it's the mindset though we've got to we've got to change it. Yeah, and it's order it's it's order too, isn't it? It's um, it, 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 I think we've got this thing where we like our our surroundings to be ordered. So you know, if it's yeah. straight, if it's kind of clear, that kind of thing. I think it. I think I think fundamentally, the entire universe is just a great chaotic, incredible yeah. thing, and it's yeah. it's full chaos. But we can't deal with that. Our minds go, oh, yeah. chaos. Oh no, we need to make it structured. We need to make, need to make it ordered. And I think like. <laughs> yeah. Everything, don't we? You know, make ourselves look neat and but yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, like it's just chaos, and it's just going to return to chaos all the time. So, like, it's it's almost like yeah. it's kind of pointless because <laughs> it's just going it to go. It's pointless. It is pointless, it's and it's just back. wasting money as well, and wasting resources. Like, 
just let nature do its thing. Yeah. And for goodness sake, spray, honestly, spraying it off as well when you're right next to water and where people are likely to go and, like, what, take children yeah. as well? Yeah, nah. ex- exactly. Yeah. Nah. In- insanity. Um, I've noticed that you're very into sort of like seasonality and the beauty of seasons because that's, I, I absolutely love the seasons. And especially in quite a lot of your art, it features quite a bit. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite season? Oh, that is a very good question. Uh, for years, I used to think it was autumn, and I mm-hmm. still do love autumn, but I've got, I've kind of cultivated a real love of winter. Yeah. Because cause I quite like looking at the night sky and stuff. You get more time to look at the stars. I love the way winter trees look. Um, I just think, I think I love seeing them all silhouetted up against like a dusk sky and everything. I know some summer trees yeah. look good too, actually, against the dusk. But I think there's something about winter when you get proper winter, mind you, not this kind of mm. just grey, warm, mild yeah, yeah, yeah. thing we get nowadays. But when you used to get proper clear nights and that lovely frost, and it all yeah. glitters in the morning, you know, and you get those like those bright pink skies and just like you know, yeah. like little moon and. There's something about that, like, and you get all cold as well, you know, and you and it or yeah, yeah, yeah. Face, it feels real arctic. I love that. It's I so it. nice, yeah. Something yeah. really it makes me feel because I, I've always wanted to go and live up in Scotland, and mm-hmm. I've only briefly stayed up there so far. I've never actually managed to live up there properly, but it makes yeah. me feel when I feel cold like that, and you might hear like a raven, makes me feel closer yeah. to somewhere up north. Yeah, you know? I, I really like that. Yeah, I love that. I, I personally love winter and i think um if you truly love nature and admire it for its beauty then there's so much to see in winter uh, like you say winter tree silhouettes are beautiful and there's something about the harshness when it's proper winter the harshness and the way the birds work with it you know when you get those flocks of thrushes feel fair sort of digging out things from the snow that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, that, that wishy-washy grey stuff, is it's hard to really define as winter because it, it's just somewhere in between. But um, <laughs> the one thing we had a few weeks ago, which was stunning, was the hoarfrosts. Oh, and, I'm so jealous about that because yeah. we didn't get that near us. And I saw you uh, got that. I thought, and I, I, I wanted yeah. to kind of see the hoarfrost and my car decided to die, so I couldn't get anywhere. Uh, I was just like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> but the trees, like, they're already beautiful this time of year. And then, you know... Just almost glazed with that white. It's, it's stunning. Oh, yeah. Very jealous. Seriously, I really, I could. Mm. <laughs> In terms of habitats, and like you're obviously really into woodlands and stuff, because a lot of your landscape art is very. Well, you obviously love trees, I like so trees. Um, yeah. you tend to spend quite a lot of time around woods when you're painting and and drawing and things like that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, before we move on, what's your favorite season? Uh, so <laughs> it's hard to sound cliche without choosing a season that's not winter. It's not summer because I don't like the hot. Yeah. And everything's grown. Like, obviously, I love foliage and I love the green of it. But for me, spring and autumn are my favorites yeah, because sure. spring. Actually, early spring for me is incredible. Even just, you know, I know it's probably different for you, but in terms of birds and things, it is early spring now, technically. Yeah. Everything is starting to sink. You've got skylarks singing outside. 
Um, there's some great Crested Greed mating the other day. Uh, oh, wow. April on the wing. So even though the weather may change and it may get cold again in April or whatever, next week frogs and stuff will be out. And I, I love it this time of year when everything just snowballs and yeah, yeah. every every day is different almost. Yeah. Um, so I love that side of it. And I love when the wildflowers are out before they get covered with nettles and rose bay and stuff, you know, when it's just about the herb layer, yeah, not too big. I absolutely love that. And I love when you can still see the birds singing without the leaves covering them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really, my heart is in autumn. Um, one, because of autumn migration with Which birds, is amazing. it's just yeah. incredible. However, the main reason actually is I just find it stunning. And yeah. particularly early autumn, when you get those first black and red blackberries coming out and it's, it's just, you know, one season meets the other. And it, yeah. it's, I think, to be honest, I love the changing of seasons. I, I love the transforming between one to the other. And it's, it's always something that gives you hope. Yeah. You know, that changing of season, it, it's, it's nice Obviously, nature isn't in great condition, but there is something or something that's always really grounding and positive about seeing the seasons change. And um, yeah, but I'd probably say autumn. Yeah, I'd probably yeah. say autumn. All right. Are you are you on Twitter? No. Okay, right. It's probably a good idea not to be on there, to be honest. But I said something the other day about it being spring because, like you say, all the birds have started singing again. Yeah. The drops yeah. There's, loads of, like, there's loads of stuff happening. To me, this is we are in early spring now. Like this is. Yeah. yeah. But you, um, do you follow a different calendar? Because I noticed you said something about Imbolt, was it? And, yeah. Um, so in because that starts earlier as well than the normal calendar spring yeah i i think i personally think that the gallic calendar makes more sense so so spring is yeah. february for three mm-hmm. months and then the next three months and then it kind of goes on like that it's sort of a bit earlier but if you if you are interested in nature you can see all this stuff happening already so i said it was spring and lots of people on twitter are like it's not spring yet it's still winter and i'm yeah, like yeah. Oh, it's still winter there's snowdrop yeah. come on there's birds like the song thrush is singing yeah. again the missile thrush yeah. is yeah. spring it's the beginning yeah. of spring so yeah i think 100 percent is yeah. yeah it makes more sense yeah I, I like i say i do love this time of year and the bird calendar is just a lot earlier well the nature's calendar in general um things like birds of prey are already building their nests and what is it now nearly coming up to mid-feb so within two weeks the first wheat ears will be coming back um yeah so the the end of february the first wheat ears start to hit the south shores um and it's sort of getting earlier every year um avocets arrive back to their breeding ground sort of end of feb so it may be winter, but it's also spring. I think yeah. as long as you accept it's a bit of both, then yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, it might get cold yeah. again, but it's it's all starting. Like you say, it's starting to snowball. It's going. So. Yeah, for me, the main first ones that I always look for is frog spawn, yeah, um, lesser celandine, yeah, um, which is <laughs> if you think about it, it's a completely un- unremarkable plant, but it's just I that first like, one, yeah. <laughs> It's just those first ones. It's like chiff chaff. I love hearing the first thing in chiff chaff. But then afterwards, I'm like, oh, it's just chiff chaff. So, um, yeah. It's what like do you look for in, in spring? The what are the sort of signs that you look for? The chiff chaff's one of mine. The first chiff yeah. chaff, I, that's like a really big thing for me. 
Um, mm -hmm. First snowdrops, although they come up in December now, so they're like really, yeah. really early. Um, primroses, um, ravens and rooks and stuff when they start like carrying mm. twigs and they fly past. Yeah. Look for that. Um, and then a bit later on, but this is more going towards summer, it's the first swallow. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. that's like if I if they're late, I get like anxiety on the go. I just think to myself, what's happened? Where are they? Where are they? And when if the swifts are late after that, I'm just like, you know, in panic mode. What's going on? <laughs> I I base my whole annual calendar around swifts because swifts are my second favorite bird. But for me, they are migration. I just find it fascinating that they are here for so short a time. You know, they're one of the last to arrive. And one of the first to leave. They always leave. And it's sad because they're, they're so nice and fascinating birds. Um, one species that I always look out for every year, and I'm intrigued to know if there's any nearby, because there must be some around here, is wild daffodils. Oh. Do you no, have I, any near you? I think I, I, I thought of these the other day, you know, there is a big patch of daffodils that come up very near where I live. It's organic yeah. farmland as well. And I mm. think they might be natives, but I yeah. don't, I've never kind of looked into it close enough to know if they definitely are or not. Yeah. So have you seen wild daffodils before? I, well, I'm presuming these are, but I don't know for definite. So I'll say no, because I don't really know. So, I mean, there are hybrids out there as well. Um, but the main things you want to look for is they're quite short. Yeah. They, um, they, they often, in the right places, carpet. A bit like bluebell yeah same they've got thin stems thin leaves and they've got quite a yeah quite a glaucous color so they're not particularly green or i mean it's a difficult one saying they're glaucous colors because some of the non-native ones are as well they are very pale creamy yellow the flowers okay so they're not bright yellow Ooh. um and one of the big features for me is they like droop so whereas like a big proud garden daffodil opens either straight or even sometimes a little bit upwards they're very sad looking when oh, they're okay. in full bloom so they're quite distinctive when you see them so it's worth checking them so yeah, they'll be coming up obviously the stalks will be up now but probably in a week or two they should be yeah but it's it's really nice looking for them it's like wild bluebells yeah. too much of a rarity um but yeah, incredible. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by wild daffodils, but I just, <laughs> I think because they're a sign of days gone by, I suppose. Oh, well, maybe. You know? you know, when you can see a habitat and even if it's a fragment, you can imagine the extent of it spread across elsewhere. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've got a bit of a thing about early purple orchids. I don't I don't know why, mm. but they're one of those ones that once I find them, I'm just like, oh, I get really, really excited about them. And I've got to go and find, you know, the biggest clump I can find or like, yeah, yeah. close in the wood or whatever. Yeah. I always love looking for them this time of year when yeah. the, you know, the shoots yeah. are just coming up. Yeah. I haven't found any yet, but especially on sort of limestone areas, um, it's just, yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? And they are a stunning orchid, even though they, they can be quite numerous. They're, they're really stunning. Yeah. Orchids are just amazing. Orchids oh, aren't they just? They, there's some, yeah. there's a, there was a place in um in Exeter, on the outskirts of Exeter, a Tesco's car park that had, I hope they're still there. One year yeah. I went in there, like off to do a survey somewhere, and it was completely yeah. carpeted in bee orchids. Wow. And I was just like, 
that's incredible. Isn't that amazing? But your kids are smashing, but they're it's almost the way they turn up in the most bizarre places, which makes them amazing. Yeah. You know, roundabouts, yeah, like you say, car park edges, or even I know in lockdown when people grew their lawns out a bit more. Oh, yeah, they yeah. Had bee orchids turning up. And they're really exotic looking. I find the disassociation with orchids in this country with the general public quite bizarre, really. People spend so much time over house orchids and and things there's so many nice orchids out I there know, i know i'm actually sat in a house with loads of orchids around me at the minute and they're just these <laughs> they're pretty but they're a bit like i yeah. find them a bit garish because they're so the flowers are so big yeah. like you know yeah. a little pyramidal orchid or something i could stare at for hours oh. i just think what's your favorite orchid oh uh, early purple early purple yeah early purple. Like, i've got That's, a real yeah. thing i like the way that they tend to be in like with bluebells and that mix of colors you get I the magenta versus the purple, yeah. yeah, that is a really good choice. I'd have to say fly orchid. Oh, that's a good choice as well. That is a good. Have you choice. seen fly orchid? Not in the only pictures. I've never seen them in the wild. No. So if you ever go looking for one, yeah, don't expect it to be as big as you think it is. Oh, they real diddy. They are tiny. So I'd say the actual oh. flower is probably just smaller than a centimeter oh wow yeah and most of them i would say are 10 centimeters high oh i expect them to be taller than that they can be taller if so basically they have two habitats they can either be found in like sort of chalky grassland or uh beach chalk woodland okay and um if they're in the woodland because it's shady ah they can be much higher, um, but still with small flowers. But yeah, they're really, really cool. Yeah. Well, I was just saying before about woodland, because you, I mean, even just speaking about early purple orchids and bluebells, I can see the the interest in woodlands. Um, but quite a lot of your sketches and paintings and things are how I, when I'm out and about, it's those sort of views that really capture me. Like, I notice you've sort of got a thing for like, like sort of you know like droves and and like pathways through the woods and stuff like that. Is that something which inspires you quite a bit? Yeah, I really I love Holloways. They're my my kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I've we've got one. We've got it's the saddest Holloway because it's a real gorgeous one. It's right by where we live, and if you yeah. get into the middle of it, it's not very long. You can, I mean, it's. It's quite wet, so it takes a while to walk it, but it's not very long at all. But it's kind of yeah. sad because one end of it is a main road. So when you when no. you photograph it, it looks like this amazing out of you know out of yeah, a yeah, yeah. If you face that way, it's just traffic yeah. and trucks and this sort of thing. <laughs> but um, I love I love walking through them because you can really feel the age of the place. You know, yeah. you can, like it's a real presence. And I I walked one recently near Beminster. I can't mm-hmm. remember what it's called. I've forgotten what it's called now, but it's like, it's almost like a dome. It's so cool. Yeah. And it has these enormous beech trees and their roots coming right down like this. Yeah. You feel like you're under the ground in it. And the yeah. trees, obviously, and like the, the, the way the, the soil is like eroded back as well, but the, um, the roots were coming out so far. It was like a cave system yeah. under there as well. And I was Amazing. like, I really want to get back and photograph that when it gets misty, but it hasn't been bis- misty for like ages. So I've not been able to. And there's a really yeah. famous one called Hell Lane near Bridport. You heard of that? No, but I know that it's stunning around there. I've been yeah. through there before. 
and yeah, yeah. That, that one's a real it's a real epic like epic yeah. it's incredible what yeah. is it just through like a, a woodland or like um, is it through a beach woodland or something like that no it's not this one isn't through a woodland this one kind of goes mainly through farmland but it's got it's edged by mm. trees and it starts off yeah. near a place called Colmas Hill, which is just this like really iconic hill with a few trees on top. And then it sort yeah. of just goes, you just go into the earth through it. And it goes <laughs> on for ages like it. And people have carved all the sandstone. So there's always like weird yeah. faces and like just weird. It's crazy down there. And it goes on for miles, it feels like. I mm. cycled down it once years ago. I did some stupid epic cycle, which half killed me. Um, and it was like <laughs> a river. It must have rained a lot yeah. a few days before. So I was like, so, and it's all like, if you, the top end of it, um, so not the, the bit when not many people get to because it's so overgrown. Mm -hmm. I was like lifting my bike over these fallen logs and like going through brambles. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, it's a real. It's like it really feels like you're just like down in the earth. I love it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's but it's those connections that really make you feel part of it, don't they? You know, oh yeah, you can't just expect the nice, <laughs> the nice clean treatment of just going through it without getting muddy or without getting tangled in stuff. There's no fun in you that. To really immerse yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting you'd say about old roads and things because I definitely get a connection when I know something is. I'm really into landscape history, yeah. and you know when you know there's like a Roman road or a really old pathway or something. I'm not massively spiritual, but I do find that's where I get the most spiritual connection. Is especially an ancient form of human activity within nature. And I also love just looking out for, you know, when you see an old line of trees and you know that there must have been like an avenue there or something, or I, I love trying to work out how the landscape was just based on what you can see, yeah, what I sort of that. species are there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. cool, isn't it? It kind of, I think, yeah, it's something, I think it's something about, it's something about the way people were more connected with the earth years ago as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it kind of like... There's a different I think that's kind of what gives it more meaning, you know. Yeah. We have yeah. the um nine barrows behind us. Have you heard of them? I feel like I have heard of them actually. I've been to Pretty before, so maybe I've yeah. been so we, we live in Pretty and Whoa. the barrows behind us are they're just they're burial mounds and there's not really a massive amount to them, but I know that they're so old. They yeah. are like iron age or something and whilst we can see them from the house when you walk through the fields amongst them i don't know i i personally just get an incredible feeling and there's a lot of that around here which is really nice have you um, have you read a book called underland by robert mcfarlane no i know i know robert mcfarlane but i haven't read no i haven't read that you definitely need to read that book if i'll send yeah. you my copy if you want to borrow it because it's such a good yeah. book it talks about all that sort of thing and there's yeah. a bit in the beginning where he says about people used to say that when you walk on top of the land you'll you, there's the older generations the people that have gone before are walking below you and you, it's almost like you wow. can sense they're there and um wow. yeah it's, it's a very very good book it's really really good and you do he kind of explores that sort of history of like you know and I know what yeah. you mean about those barrows, because whenever I go up to like hill forts and stuff, the Iron Age hill yeah, forts yeah. or the Bronze Age or whatever it is, some of the, there's one near our house I just go up and sit on because I, two reasons actually. There's, there's another, there's a reason I'm there because I'm watching yeah. them too. But the other thing is the kind of the history of it. It's something yeah. I really like 
you can sort of just imagine because it looks out across the two other hill forts and you can just picture you know like they would have either been yeah. friendly or like enemies and you would have seen them coming yeah, up yeah, yeah. Before, yeah. You know. i love i love trying to imagine the the difference or especially when you can see certain parts of the architecture that are still there yeah, 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 totally. you can really imagine things going on have you been to a um, place called win green it's on the outskirts of it's on the north dorset wiltshire border no it rings that, a bell okay that's that's one of those ones that when i go there that i know that's got an old burial like um they call it it's like a long barrow, I think is the expression. Right. But it's got yeah. this clump of beech trees on top of it. And you, if you stand up there, it, it has a real presence, that place. You can tell there's yeah. like a lot of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like that. that um, there's a place called Dolbury Warren near us, which is like a an old fort as well. And yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the ones where I feel the most presence. Yeah. Um, yeah and also one of, the, one of the great things about these sort of sites they have some incredible wildlife as well. Yeah. You know, it's some of these, like, especially these hilly forts, um, they're not being particularly used for agriculture and they're often maintained to keeping the grass shorter. So you get yeah. like orchids and butterflies and things. Yeah. So it's kind of win-win really. Yeah, exactly. Not only does it kind of feel amazing up there, but like it's, yeah, there's, there's stuff to look at. The one the one yeah. that's near our house, um, I've gone up there recently because there's this plantation forest yeah, um, just below it. And there's goshawks using that forest. Wow. And I I thought they were there for a while. And I I went up the other day and I thought it's a perfect like display day. And I thought if they're gonna yeah, be there, yeah. and I watched for ages and there was there was a pair of buzzards for a bit and you know, a few uh, ravens yeah. and stuff. <clears throat> and then one of the buzzards zipped away and it got replaced by this female goshawk. And I was like, Wow. I freaking knew they were here. I knew it. So yeah, it was cool. That is, that is incredible. I love goshawks and I've I've probably seen I can count the amount of goshawks I've seen in the UK on my hand, but to have breeding goshawks near you, that is amazing. Like, wow, wow, wow. wow. And this, like you say, this is the perfect time of year for them. Is yeah. Like we were saying about spring before, they are displaying now. They're circling, displaying, they'll be getting the nests ready. Um, oh, another bird or family of birds that I love looking out for in February is the woodpeckers because oh, yeah, of course. they do start displaying basically end of jan february early march well through march obviously they're drumming yeah but they're also calling and for anyone who wants to see all three species of woodpeckers now's a great time to go out and distinguish between them because there's no leaves on the trees they're displaying so yeah, they're calling and it's a great time to see the rarest species lesser spots and i know well it's not near near you but i do know a place near you which I I don't know if I can say. So I used to work on a reserve, which was really good for lesser spots. And it's a bit of a difficult thing talking about where lesser spots are because they're so rare now and it's you have to sort of keep it a bit hush-hush. So I will let you know after okay. the podcast because cool. it is in Devon and it is amazing for all three. And lesser spots are so cute. I've they're never so seen small. lesser spotted. Yeah, so maybe that, yeah, I'll let you know where it is and then okay, you can go you. have a look. But they're one of those things that I think they are rare and they have declined a lot, but I do think they're under-recorded. Some yeah. of those hidden little fragmented woodlands, perhaps amongst farmland and where people don't necessarily go a lot, 
Um, and because they're so secretive most of the other times of the year, they could be there. So this time of year, if you're in a woods, just listen for that. Do you know what they sound like? No. So they, you know, like a kestrel has a really high pitch, like kiki, kiki, kiki. Yeah. Um, like really fast. It's essentially the same as that. Okay. So it's completely different to a great spot and it's different to the sort of laughing of a green woodpecker. Okay. Um, so it's, it's quite a striking call. So definitely keep an ear out for it because I think Devon probably has a good number in general. I think it's the same with goshawks being under-recorded, you know, because yeah. I think there's, I just think because they're so secretive most of the time and people aren't looking out for them because they just don't think they're there. Yeah. I yeah. suspect there's another place fairly near where I am where I found um, the cut, like the, the plucked feathers of quite a few wood pigeons yeah. and two grey squirrel tails. And I'm like, uh, it does look a lot like a goss's work. And it was in like a plantation forest. And I thought, yeah, yeah. Yes, I reckon they might be up there as well. So I think yeah. there's more about. But I'll keep an eye out for the lesser spotted woodpeckers and I'll keep an ear out too. Yeah. Plantation forests, obviously, on the whole, are pretty rubbish. But for something like a goshawk, it's ideal. Yeah, Things exactly. like goshawk and longear are generally just under recorded because they're often wedged into some farmland area yeah. with no footpath. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So going back to your art, what made you go towards obviously you've got paintings and sketches and pastel work and things like that, which are more of a, a generic artwork. But what made you go towards doing pebble arts and woodwork? <laughs> pebble art in particular, because it is so nice. And they're, they're so beautiful, but I've just never seen it before. I don't know, if I'm honest. <laughs> I have no idea. I just think uh, I was walking along a beach near where I live one day and I yeah. found a pebble that had uh, white lines through it. Yeah. It was quite big. And I immediately thought to myself, it looked like a birch forest, like a silver birch forest. Uh, yeah. I picked it up and I painted it. So it looked like silver birch trees and the moon in the background. I gave it to my mum for a present. Yeah. Um, and I think I must have posted it online. Lots of people were like, oh, that's so pretty. And I thought, oh, oh, maybe I could do another one. And I think I did. I don't know what I did next, actually. Got a funny feeling I might have done a woodcock or something. Yeah. Um, and people seem to like that too. And then I thought, well, I, I quite, they're not very daunting to paint. If you've got like a, I never do, to be honest, I don't do big paintings. I've, I'm always a bit wimpy and go, well, not, it's not that. Yeah. I'm a wimp. It's more <laughs> that I quite like working on a small scale because I like the kind of, it really slows me down and I have to really concentrate. And I think if it was a big thing, I wouldn't maybe be the same. Maybe I would, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, with pebbles, you sort of have to kind of, they're not a great big thing. It's kind of a small thing. And I yeah. quite like the fact that it's like a tactile art, I think, you know, it's not mm -hmm. something that goes up on the wall. It's something that kind of can get moved around as like a paperweight yeah. or you can yeah. hold it. Something about that I rather like. And also I like, I just like pebbles and stones too. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, but to be honest, in all honesty, though, yeah, I don't know why I started with pebbles. <laughs> I don't know, so I just did. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. Um, and the you do some woodwork as well, don't you? With like, or nope. I don't know. That I do. What What have you seen that I've done woodwork wise? So, unless it was just you were sharing pictures of carvings type stuff, you know, like I, bird oh, carvings. You mean, the, you mean the little models of birds? Yes, yeah, ah, sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. No, it's yeah. all right. Lots of people do that. Lots of people think they're made of wood. They're not, they're clay. Ah, okay, that's even 
oh, that sounds even more tricky. It is well, really hard. Yeah. And it, yeah. They, they, they look so um, lifelike as well. Is that just something you've always liked doing, sort of clay work? Yeah, I used to play with plasticine a lot as a child um, <laughs> and really enjoyed it. And then I didn't yeah. do it for ages. And I think I just decided I wanted to, what was it? It's something I wanted to make for whatever reason. Probably because yeah. I'd seen it, you know, out in the out when I was walking. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I just, I, I got really kind of into that for a while. I, I did, um, I did a few toadstools and mushrooms as well. They're, I loved making those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind I of. see a nightingale in there? Yes, you saw a nightingale in there. Yeah. As well. Yeah. That was done for an exhibition Incredible. up in London. Um, I got asked to contribute, contribute, can't say it, contribute to. <laughs> Do you still um, have nightingales? near where you live nah wow. the, the nearest one i i i know of is about an hour's drive away and it's up in north dorset i don't know of any sites in devon it's so sad isn't it mm-hmm. yeah it is because it's such a phenomenal song yeah and yeah when i went up i went i think last year i went up to listen to this this in this particular place where they are in north dorset and it started to rain and all the other, there was a, there were a few there singing, but one carried on. All the rest stopped. And there was just this one male yeah. that really went for it. And I got really close to him. And I was sat there in this kind of like, it wasn't really heavy rain. It was like medium rain. Yeah, yeah. In the dark with just this bird. And I thought, this is something else. It was, wow. it was amazing. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've seen and heard Nightingale only a couple of times. Something that I'd love to see more of now in the South. Uh, but even in the right places, they're just so, so scarce yeah um, are they associated with folk- folklore oh yeah yeah i think there's a but yeah. i think there's a fair bit but they're not weirdly they're not kind of i don't think associated with it as much as some other birds it's a bit it's strange how some birds yeah. are like these real what like, sort know. of birds what sort of birds do you think of when it comes to folklore ravens raven ravens, what do they say yeah. about ravens yeah, there's all sorts of stuff with ravens. You know, they're like in betweens, aren't they? Between our world and the spirit world, and uh, the Norse gods and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, gosh, what else is there with folklore? I do. I think of wrens, but they aren't particularly associated with it. <laughs> what do people say about wrens? Have you heard? Well, it. It. I think years ago, people used to think that goldcrests, firecrests, and wrens were basically the same bird. You know, yeah. old bird books, they were all kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I think the... the Hedge sparrows. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I think they used to say that the wren is the king of the birds because it. Um, there was a big contest between all the birds to see who would be their king and the, the winner was going to be the one that flew the highest. And the eagle outdoes everybody. But right at the yeah. last minute, a little wren jumps out from, a, from his feathers and goes, I am king! So he's like the king of the birds. So, you know... But I think it also applies to gold crests, hence the regalis bit, you know. But um, right. yeah, but there's, I don't know, it's it's funny how some have so, so mixed up with our folklore and some have missed it completely. I just always yeah. find that a bit of an odd thing. I don't know why some have been missed out, you know. I couldn't really tell you anything off the top of my head that I know about folklore and nature, but one thing that always sticks with me is bluebells. I know that there's certain stories about fairies, and if you Pick a bluebell, you are murdered. Oh no, 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 no! Whole thing about going there at the wrong time of day when it's getting dark, and you just get trapped in some fairy realm, and you're never coming back. And you know, yeah, I've never heard about that, but <laughs> now I'll definitely never go to bluebells at night. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear about people who 
people are saying, where's that person gone? Oh, must have gone to the woods at night. Fairies, the fairies got them. Do you know, it's weird, actually. I went to I went to this protest up on Dartmoor recently to do with the right to roam. Um, yeah. And uh, they say about being pixie-led up there, because there's that, well, it's pisky, I think, pisky-led. Yeah. On Dartmoor. And how people just vanish and stuff. And when we were walking along, there's thousands of people there, but occasionally, like, I turned to my partner and he just wasn't there. He just vanished. And I was like, this is weird. Think about the pixies. Like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, people would just disappear and they come <laughs> back, like, over there. And you think, how did you get there? It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I did see some pictures from the the main right to Rome protest on Dartmoor, and uh, there seems to be quite a lot of I don't really know how you describe it. Almost like a uniform that comes with some of the right to Rome protests. People dressing up and things. What's that about? I think I think that's because they want to kind of make it into a bit more of like a a celebration. Yeah. Um, so instead of it being just kind of like some austere sort of, you know, march, people put on, you know, fancy. I put on a really daft hat, actually. I had this great big yeah. hat about here. Um, just because it's like, you know, you're celebrating like you know, our right to be on the land. And it's it's yeah. meant to be like a fun thing. So instead of it being kind of all kind of um, uh, aggressive and stuff, it's mm. a celebration. There's music. There's like interesting yeah. clothes on the go. People sing. And I, quite, people. I like that. It's, yeah. a nice way of, yeah. it's a nice way of protesting. It's not so... You know, you don't want people make it. It's not so nice if people are smashing things up and you know, really angry. Definitely, yeah, so, yeah. That's okay. That's really nice. Um, you were mentioning before about when you were doing the pebble art, doing a woodcock, and I know you are really into woodcocks. I I love woodcocks, and um, particularly when you get a really good year and like in November when they come across in really big numbers. Um, have you actually seen any? This winter, actually, this winter's been really poor near where I live for woodcock. I've only seen one so far. And which... that, was that a flushed bird? Just yeah, like... yeah. Do the, the funny thing yeah. was, I was walking through this wood. Technically, not really meant to walk through it, but I walked through it anyway. And I stopped <laughs> yeah. in this area, and I thought to myself, "This would be a really good place for a woodcock." And as I thought it, one flew up. I've done like, that before. Oh, yeah, isn't it weird? Yeah, I've done that sense? before. I've, yeah. That's one of the weirdest birding moments I've had, where it was probably a couple. Of, I think it was during lockdown. Me and my partner, we were walking down this avenue that we walk down all the time. And I don't know why, but there was a particular area, and I think it was November or something, and I said this. <laughs> we always have a joke because whenever we go somewhere, I always say the words, I guarantee we'll see this, and yeah. we never see it. <laughs> so I think on the day I said, oh, I could imagine. Oh, yeah, I could imagine seeing a woodcock here. And then just yeah. came out of nowhere and yeah. it was just yeah it was just like everything like the universe and everything was just aligned um yeah but they're smashing birds aren't they oh and they're fantastic they are fantastic. i would i would be happy i would die happy if i could just see one on the ground <laughs> you know some people do see them on the ground because i've heard of people flushing them seeing them come back down again but then still seeing them. No. Yeah. No. I would love that. I've only ever managed to flush them. I've seen them go along a particular hedgerow and go down again, but I never find them again. Like they're they're down and that's, yeah. that's it. The best not a woodcock, but the best sort of snipe woodcock views I've had was a jack snipe. Oh. And Jack Snipe, oh have you seen Jack Snipe before? I've flushed a few, but I've never I've and yeah. I've seen I've actually seen one in the hands, but that was because I went to a special ringing thing. Yeah. They have much more of a tendency to sit still. Yeah. So because they 
rely on their camouflage and they and they a bit like a lizard you know they'll just sit still and i was by a pond and i'd already flushed a few comments now i wasn't flushing i was just walking and i don't know what drew me down but i looked to my wellies and it was sat there by my wellies and to the point where i could just kneel down and i could look at it face to face and it just sat there and oh wow it's those sort of connections which you really don't forget and obviously i got some amazing pictures at the time but yeah and and that is quite a common thing with jack snipe i've had that another time um so if you're ever in a sort of wet grassy area and you think this could be a snipe area sort of ignore the common snipe flying off and just look at the ground because you never know that's people say you basically nearly stand on them because yeah that is amazing honestly that's i've i've seen yeah i know they don't fly and i know they tend to just hunker down definitely but i've i've Mm. only ever i've flushed a few but i think yeah we were walking along talking and i think probably that was too much when we got right on top of them and like we're off but yeah Yeah. to look down and have one by you welly like that I'd be like, it was incredible. my heart rate would go up about, you know. It's, yeah, it's one of those moments where you can't quite believe it. Oh. And, yeah, it's like my favourite bird is waxwing. And, oh, good choice. Um, a few years ago, I saw one fly into a window. And oh. they do this quite a bit when it's further on in winter and they're feeding on fermented berries because they get drunk. Oh. So it flew into a window and it was fine. It was just a bit stunned. But it flew into the window and landed in a busy road. So I went and picked it up. And for someone who is so obsessed with waxwings, there could not be anything bigger in life yeah. than being able to see one in the hand yeah. and its colours and everything. And it was a male as well. And I had a really strange few days after that because I sort of... It was weird because I was thinking... This is the peak for me and Waxwings. Oh, yeah. I, like, I'm probably never going to get anything better than this. And I was really, it was strange because I was really overthinking it. And I was thinking, oh, did I enjoy it enough at the time? Or <laughs> I know this feeling. I know this feeling because I've had this with a Swift. Yeah? Yeah. Um, my, my boyfriend's parents had a grounded Swift from a, a nest in the um, house opposite and it was in their garden. They yeah. said, oh God, they phoned me up and they said, oh, quick, you know, what can, can you come and help? So I went over straight away and I found yeah. it. And I was like, right, we need to find a field with the wind coming towards us so I can lift it up and it can fly and all that sort of thing. We found one and everything. Yeah. And I was so concerned about it being stressed out and I didn't want it to get panicked or anything. I just went through all the yeah. motions, like put it in a box, keep it quiet, get it out there, put it on my hand, off it went. And I thought, yes, yeah. oh, what? Like, I yeah. Why did I not like look at it a bit more? Why did I yeah, not? Like, yeah. I took one photo, I think. Exactly. Like, exactly. Thought, ah! And I'm never. That was the same. Thing. That was the same for me. I was so bothered about its well being yeah. that I moved it, got it somewhere safe, and forgot about actually appreciating it. Yeah. 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 And then you kick it. I mean, I have a picture. Room. Yeah. I have a picture to look back on, but pictures aren't anything really. It's. It's the experience. Yeah. Um, going back to Woodcock, these uh, last yeah last summer when we were in North Yorkshire, I found an amazing spot for nightjar. Oh. And in the sort of build up when it was sort of getting a bit darker, I presume you have nightjar near oh, you. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because 
I know, yeah, there's quite a few good places in Devon. Um, until last year, I'd never really had an amazing view of one. Um, but anyway, the, <laughs> you know how they, they start calling, but only when it's you know really getting dark. So I was waiting for it to get dark and had the most amazing roading woodcocks going over my head. And you can see as many flushed woodcocks as you like, but seeing there's that difference, isn't there, between seeing birds which are, you know, scared and flushed and and it's not really a massively natural thing, or seeing them actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's a whole new light, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I've only ever seen a woodcock roading the once because they don't they don't live near where I am. Then we only get the winter ones. Um uh, I have seen one one the once, yeah, doing that whole like funny little squeaky that like they're almost like a little yeah, pig, yeah. Like, <laughs> a really yeah. funny noise. It's an um, amazing noise, yeah. Yeah, but that was that was something special actually seeing that. But yeah, but just the once. But nightjar, oh mm. I keep, I tend to keep my nightjar when I see them, I tend to keep it quite quiet because I'm often on my own and yeah. it's dark. And I think I don't want to kind of like broadcast that I'm up here on my own, just on the off chance, you know, you get someone a bit on the yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. weird about. But um, yeah, flip. La- last summer I went somewhere where there were so many. They were starting chirring before it was dark. They were right. like, yeah, really fired up, and they were all over the place. And I was like, this yeah. is. It was probably they were land. They landed. Well, I went there with my boyfriend, um, and they were landing on the path in front of us, so you could see, like, you could see all yeah. their pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. They are sp- they are amazing. They're definitely one of my. That favorites. is astounding when that happens, isn't it? <gasps> I uh, the ones I saw last year, I had a, a few experiences of them, and I had some nights where it was just cheering, um, and it had gone too dark. I had some nights where I had some really nice views of them flying, doing whatever, and then one one night because I was leaning on my car, and then one night it just came and sat on the road next to the car. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that was one of those experiences that just stuns you because you, I was expecting a nice flying view, but it just came and sat by me and I wasn't expecting it at all, but it, it was incredible. So probably yeah. exactly the same as you on that path. Yeah. It's amazing. It just, yeah. I mean, like I've, I've always, I kick myself a lot because I, when I have these sort of moments with nature, when I think, you know, a really incredible moment, I often have a camera and I always fail to get a photograph of it because I'm so yeah. enamoured with the whatever's happening. Um, my biggest one was once up on the Isle of Skye. I was walking along uh, these cliffs up on the north of the island. And it was a lovely yeah. sunny day. And there's like, you know, the big sea all out in front of you and everything. And there were these herring gulls all started to make a real kind of noise at the like the cliff, yeah. the cliffs below me, which were only about yeah. two or three metres. I wasn't that far away from the edge of the cliffs. And I yeah. look across with a camera... And as I look across, out of the herring gull flock comes a white-tailed sea eagle. And it was wow. eye level with me. Freaking huge. I know they say they're like flying barn doors, but like I didn't realise how, quite how big they were. And it was like... They're so, so <laughs> big and so magnificent. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I just stood there with the camera and went, a bit flew and I didn't get one picture. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds insane. It was mental. They, they was are literally cool. like a plank, aren't they? Just yes. like a... Yeah. I mean, how- especially when you see like a buzzard or something near them, it's it's really scale them up then, don't you? Herring gulls are big, aren't they? Like, but yeah. this thing was like it was like a monster. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. I I sometimes feel a little guilty with the whole photography side of things with myself, just because, especially if it's an experience like that where it's fleeting and it's one of a kind. 
it's one thing spending more time taking pictures than actually yeah. experiencing it. But also, if you don't get good pictures, <laughs> then you've got nothing. I know. <laughs> you, have ex- you have to get one thing. <laughs> If you've not got a particularly brilliant memory either, it's quite nice to have a yeah. photo, yeah. yeah, that could be oh, that can be so annoying when you've basically wasted either <laughs> the chance to photograph it or see it well. So I do try and nowadays I do try and look more and just mm-hmm. experience it. And yeah, I do think a lot of the last few years I've definitely noticed a lot more photographers in the sort of birding circle who just are glued just the lens and when you do that yeah you are technically still seeing the bird but or whatever it is but you're not taking too much time to appreciate the whole environment around you like put the camera down put your bins away just walk around and just experience all the different sensory things Mm. um it's it's it is again another form of disconnection to nature i think yeah, I suppose it's like about it's quite an interesting way of looking at it. I guess it's one more barrier between you and the actual thing, isn't it? If you've got a camera up at your face yeah. the whole time. And I do love yeah. taking photographs, but I do know what you mean. Um, say there's a lovely sunset or something. If you if especially if you're cropping it down because you've got like a zoom lens on, you're only really yeah. experiencing that tiny portion of it, aren't you? You're not seeing the whole thing. Yeah, so it's yeah. nice to just down down tools. Just experience yeah. it a little bit. No, I, I love photography as well. I just I think we have to make sure we do a bit of both yeah. and yeah. remember because, you know, photographs are great, but memories are memories and experiences are, are what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I'm trying I'm trying a lot more this year to write down my experiences, too. I think that's a really good way yeah. of making sure they're cemented into your memory. Like, you you know, if I've written it down as well. Yeah. Um, I Yeah. One thing I'd love to do is print more pictures. And you know, photo book it, but on my phone at the minute, and that's just five or so years of pictures. Mm -hmm. I have 57,000 pictures, (laughs) so (laughs) you're like me. I do that. And you have to do you take if you are like looking at an orchid or something, you've got to get the right angle where it looks the best. You've got to get every angle, yeah, every height, a habitat shot, yeah, maybe a selfie in there. You, you, You honestly, it's ridiculous. I I hope these plants appreciate what goes into orchid photography because I actually think, so I'm personally, I'm not religious, but I, the one time, one of the times when I'm thinking there's definitely a higher power is when it comes to orchids or a plant, which has no (laughs) movement at that time. So that it's completely still plants don't move on their own much. You know, they're not wiggling about. They're not flying around. That's the main thing. They're not flying around. They're not annoying like birds. And there'll be no wind. It'll be a calm day. And you'll go to take a picture. And all of a sudden, the wind just starts flapping it around. (laughs) And I'm thinking, someone's messing with me there. (laughs) And the other thing as well about plant photography, especially short things, I hope they appreciate how uncomfortable you have to get yourself sometimes to get a decent shot. You know, like you're yeah. down on the like this, trying to look up at it. And your neck hurts. You're, yeah. in, you're in like you're in like cow pat in the process. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. Or well, the worst is butterflies because you have to get down oh. again. But then they just do one, and it's so inconsiderate. I chased one once before that I saw outside our house. I thought it was the first. I think it was. I think it might have been. I I, I thought it was the first brown hair streak I'd ever seen. 
And I was convinced yeah. it was. And I chased it across two fields and it didn't land once. It just kept on going. So I couldn't keep up with it anymore. And I was like, yeah. I'm never going to know. I'm never going to know if it was or not because it didn't stop. It's funny because butterflies are obviously obviously relatively intelligent, um, but they are one of those sort of species where you just think, there can't be that much going on up there. But they still obviously have a fear of of things yeah. because they go away from things so i always think they must have a sort of you know looking behind them feel of like oh something's coming again i've got to go because yeah they're always flying away from things so they must be scared of stuff yeah and they're, they're good at memorizing where decent plants are aren't they because if you watch you know yeah. like um there's like, it was a small tortoise shell last year that came back to the exact same plant in our front garden and there's yeah. a we get um Civil wash fritillaries as well, and they they have like oh. a particular buddler that they're like, this is my buddler, and you know it's the same one because yeah. it's got like a raggedy ring, wing rather, and then yeah, yeah it'll come back for like a week, and then that's I guess that's him done. But yeah, so where where I've just moved to, um, I'm spoiled for choice come spring and summer because there are nature reserves nearby which have everything so you know grizzled dingy skipper uh marsh fertility pill border fertility dark green fertility silver washed but even just the little bits of habitat i can see around here that they are going to have things Ooh. and i've i've joked that this summer i will not be around much but uh, how it's going to be like a playground and it yeah i'm really excited i've never truly lived anywhere that's so rich in biodiversity oh wow and i'm really excited to just be in it yeah. you know it's always been places that i've visited um and i'm excited to get buddleys out in the garden and stuff to attract in things because i know things are nearby yeah it's exciting you've got is it haven't you got like a large blue reserve near you somewhere as well was that glad like yes. yeah yeah so the obviously a couple of the main ones are um, a bit further north, okay. but there is one site near Glastonbury. I think it's on the Wiltshire Somerset border, and I will be visiting there <laughs> because that is one of the three butterflies I need for the UK. Um, I'm not a huge lister, but I I do feel I like missing out when there's certain species that I would you know I'd love to see. Have you only um, got three to see still then to get the full tick list? Yeah, so that's oh, three wow. left to see the whole 59 British species. What are the other ones? So, uh, so there's Large Blue, Heath Fritillary, oh, which okay. I will be getting because they're nearby, and Glanville Fritillary. Ah, oh, okay. So it's funny because Glanville Fritillary used to be on uh, Sand Point, which is right near here um but they were an introduced population and they've just disappeared i think due to habitat management change so the main one for glanville's is to go to isle of Wight. oh but yeah yeah there is also another couple of introduced colonies one which is a the site is now managed for them so they're doing very well which is in surrey and i think there is one in wiltshire so I'm definitely going to be uh, trying to find them. Um, but yeah, the Heath Fertilleries, I'm looking forward to trying to find because I know there's some near Exmoor. Yeah. But yeah, those three. I'll be I'll be very happy once I've seen those three. Well, you're um, doing well. 
<laughs> How many do you need to see? Way more than you. Way more. I mean, I've only right. ever seen I've only ever seen um, Marsh Artillery and Silver Washed to give you an idea of like, yeah. So I've got a lot more. So you're in a pretty good place if you want to see more artilleries. I mean, North Devon, particularly towards Exmoor, you've got high ground artilleries. Have you seen Dark Green? I don't think so. So Dark Green are pretty common and they like all sorts of habitats. So anything from sand dunes to, you know, limey woodlands, uh, valleys and things. If you were to see a fritillary flying, a biggish fritillary, and you know it's not a silver washed, it's going to be a dark green. I might have possibly Um, seen some of the new forest, actually, possibly, but I never mm. got a good enough look to definitely know, so I can't can't say. But they're great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm just laughing because... I've got some little bullet points here yeah. of things to talk about. And obviously the one which I was intrigued about was scrub. But another one I was intrigued about is extinct megafauna. Oh, yeah. I, well, yeah. I think, Tell me about that. I would, I would love, I just wish I could have been around then to see some of these crazy animals that used to be about. Um, yeah. I think when I wrote that, that's off my website, isn't it? I was going through a phase yeah. of being really, really into it. I just read that book, um, The Missing Links. Yeah. Um, but just to think there were things like oh, wolves, uh, bears, lynx. Um, I mean, they're still around now, but just the fact they were they were once in the UK. But then yeah. also things yeah. like rhinos, mammoths, elephants, you know, yeah. like like yeah. just these amazing creatures. And some of them were yeah. so huge as well. What's that one? I can't remember what it's called now, but it was like a elephanty sort of shaped body with two long legs and a great big long neck as well. Totally forgot what it's called, but it was huge. Just the sheer size of it. Yeah. Imagine, imagine yeah. walking around and being like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. The, I don't think enough people realise just what we had here, and um, I always find it so overwhelmingly not just fascinating, but I can't comprehend it. You know, when you think about how the North Sea used to be land. Yeah. And how we were so connected to Europe and that's just how everything kept coming across. And even when you look at maps of how the big rivers on the East Coast, that's not where they originally finished. Like Uh, they went much further on and no one knows that. Like if you went up to John Smith on the road, he wouldn't know that. And there's so much to the, yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, the, I think that's just it. The kind of the, the just went just because of how long life has been around for. When you start thinking about you know the years and years and years and how it's all changed and the different, like you say, the different animals that used to come across and used to be here and like it's just it's staggering, really, when you start looking into it. Yeah, it? staggering. Yeah, and, and then people like if you talk about species that have been lost that maybe we could have back. Like I think we could have a few links about. I reckon we could get like they just probably eat a few roe deer. You'd hardly ever see them. I don't see there'd be such a problem. I mean, yeah. I don't really think wolves would be such a problem either. But, you know, I think I haven't got livestock to look after. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's easy for me to say that. But, yeah, you know, like, I think it's like we're, we're, we've kind of, everything in the UK seems to be kind of getting smaller and smaller. You know, your biggest land animal is what? Badger? Mm. Otter, maybe. Probably more a badger. Like, it's just 
it's all getting smaller. It's, it's boring. Yeah. It's just boring. I quite yeah. like the idea yeah. of going out and thinking to myself, oh, I might bump into something that could kill me. I think it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling, to be honest. I went to, a, well, I went to Norway and I was travelling through on train. So I was pretty dependent on the train times and I ended up getting lost in this forest and this was in like Arctic Norway I got lost in this forest and I didn't have long left until I had to get the train so I was panicking and I was getting more lost and I just couldn't help but think there was a bear around every corner and it's just it's it's a completely different feeling because we just don't have that like the biggest thing I feel when I'm walking around the corner in a woods here is is there going to be horseflies or yeah yeah is, is there going to be some weirdo? So a bear is just so off our normal radar. And it, like you say, it does come with a bit of excitement. Yeah. Luckily, as I'm sure you can tell, I did make it out. And <laughs> I, I'm not just someone masquerading around as myself. And I actually died in that forest. I did make it out. But that idea of, you know, even just like the fact that there's elk, and uh, wolverine and stuff like that yeah so cool i know okay right sorry i said that wrong earlier on i guess like our biggest land animal is probably what red deer but you know i meant like a actually something that is like more of a meat-eating type yeah um yeah yeah like this is just a different experience like you say the the most the thing that worries me the most as a woodland is yeah horse flies mainly especially after (laughs) i learned especially after i learned from you that i think it was you that they are in woodlands. I used to think woodlands were like a safe place until you told me that, and then I saw them everywhere in woodlands, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can see them coming before I've even seen them. Because if you're if it's midsummer, yeah. and, and the thing is, they're not just confined to woodland. It's often woodland edge, and it's the shady places. And I, if I'm walking through a meadow, and it's, oh, it's so nice, there's no horse flies around here, and then the path goes through a bit of woodland, I'm just thinking, I just cut it short. I just go back, <laughs> even if it's longer. I, just, I don't have to go through because I know those stubborn, also quite intelligent flies are, I know they're watching me. I know they're sat on a tree. Oh, going, yeah. He's going to walk through. And the last the last I horse fly I saw last summer, I actually ran away from it. Yeah. I've done, it's I've like done that coming planning. towards me and I was like oh no I'm sorry no no and I just ran away and yeah. you mentioned earlier on about ticks I mean I yeah. know they're just doing their thing and they're you know but I, I once went for a run through this kind of, kind of overgrown woodland or through it mm. and I came out the other side looked at my legs and they were covered in ticks oh. and I was just like oh my god oh my god like oh. I know they're doing their thing but you know they've got like nasty diseases and stuff and i don't particularly want to get yeah. that but you had to sit on and the when floor you see them everything going off, crawling you know? up your leg oh, oh. they're horrible they're horrible they're so yeah I'm, i mean i wouldn't actively go and kill them but i don't want them near me either you know yeah not i possible. know the feeling mm-hmm. i know the feeling but yeah horse flies no thank you <laughs> i'll definitely yeah i'll definitely reroute or run away <laughs> it's so stupid how would i ever survive in a rainforest like, oh yeah oh yeah i've always wanted to go but i don't if i can if i can't walk past the british woodland in summer without spinning around and running backwards and you know Did constantly you hitting well? my leg yeah. and arms <laughs> and stuff i, I 
<laughs> That's just like Looney in the rainforest. I'm walking along like that a lot of the time. I'm yeah, like, just saying hello to people, just like <laughs> just ignore me. Oh uh, no, I know they have a big purpose, and uh, yeah, I'm sure some things love them. Um, so I know I keep going back to Woodcock, but you're quite into astronomy and the night sky, something I'm really, really fascinated by. Um, but it it does play by quite a big part in nature as well. Obviously, um, birds migrate through the night sky. But again, coming back to prehistoric things, you know, people have been using the night sky and looking at the night sky for so long. Um, what is it about it that really draws you in? Like, is it is it the universe in general or is it the way that, yeah, is it how it, you know, looks within the landscapes or is it quite a spiritual thing? I think it's changed. When I was a teenager, I was I was blown away just by reading about the solar system and all these different planets um, yeah. and how di- how very different they are from the Earth. You know, like if you read about like Jupiter and it's all gas and just these crazy mm. massive storms. And um, But over time, I think now it's sort of become, I like the stories that are up there. Yeah. Um, you know, with all the constellations and everything. I love the way it looks in the in the. It just looks against the landscape too. I, I do think I like to include I like to include the landscape in my night sky images when I when I paint and draw them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like the way you can like you were saying about the seasons shifting. How you know you look up and you can sort of see you know when you see the winter circle in Orion and everything. You know it's the yeah. And then I always love yeah. it around if you're up. Is it if you're up really early in like early it's late September? I think it might be if you're up really early in the morning. You just start to see Orion. Just start to peep uh, up the horizon before the sun comes up, and um, uh, and then you get like the the summer triangle in the summer, and everything shifts around a bit, and yeah, so it sort of fits away. into that calendar. Of yeah, yeah, that's change. it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I think I just like it because it kind of gives you it gives you a place at all times if you can see the night sky, and I yeah. also with moon rises and stuff. I think you only ever get you know twelve, maybe thirteen full moon rises every single year. Did you see the moon last night? Uh, I saw a halo around the moon last night, which was pretty cool. About eight o'clock last night. Couldn't have been the sun. No, it must have been the moon. It was blood red. Oh, as it was rising. Oh wow! And I, for a minute, so I was driving, and for a moment, there was part of me that thought this could be the end of the world. Oh my god! And wow. Just because it was so red, and I was thinking, that doesn't look right, <laughs> but it looked amazing. It was like tomato, like it, it, it was really cool. Oh wow! Um, what what causes that? I think that's just because you're looking through all the Earth's atmosphere, aren't you? It's a bit like why oh, you I get why the sun goes. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like dust in the atmosphere. But I have seen moonrises mm. like that when it's been really bright red, and it is just phenomenal. It's such an amazing yeah. thing, and you get that weird. You get that weird. Um, that thing that happens where it looks as an optical illusion, it looks bigger because it's closest to the horizon. Yeah. So, like it looks like this vast like thing, doesn't it? But as yeah. it gets higher in the sky, it looks smaller. Yeah. yeah that's, I didn't I think, see it last night, but that sounds cool. I think that's why I thought it was on fire and falling to earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Thankfully it wasn't. Thankfully it wasn't. Or if it is, it's just very slow. 
Um, so if anyone, anyone sees the moon tonight, just let me know if it's still in the same place. <laughs> Um, or shift it closer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I completely get it because when it's clear, especially here, because we have really clear skies here, um, the bewilderment of it really draws me in. And some of the facts and figures about the universe and, you know, just how many galaxies and, and solar systems, it's it's more than mind-boggling. You can't really wrap your head around it. Yeah, you can't. And it's 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 grounding, <laughs> but at the same time, you sort of think these little problems that we have don't mean anything. They they don't mean anything. We're like a speck, yeah. aren't we? This little yeah. speck in this whole massive, massive place, and it's just it's yeah. silly, really. You know, people want like worry about when you really think about it. Some of the things we worry about on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, we're just space dust yeah. and it's it's quite cool but also quite scary yeah um but yeah okay you're really into mushrooms yeah i'd love to know more about mushrooms i know mushrooms by species i know i often go looking but i don't i'm not a mushroom forager so but you like to pick mushrooms, don't you? Mm -hmm. You I like do. to eat mushrooms. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the thing is, I don't like mushrooms from the shop. So oh. this is why oh. I've never really been. <laughs> yeah, all right. If you, if you don't like the taste of them, <laughs> and you're yeah. not going to. No, it's, it's really weird. I, I've always had like a kind of a passing interest in them. And, and every autumn when they all start coming up, I flick through mushroom books. And some of that yeah. must have just gone into my brain without me realising. And then a few autumns ago, these little mushrooms came up in our garden. I thought to myself, they look like wood bluets. Don't know where that came from. I just, that thought came to me. And I thought, hmm, went inside, started to read about them. I thought they, were, they weren't wood bluets, but they're like a version of, it's like another, like a slight like side one, but they're still edible. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah. So I did like a spore print and tested them and everything. And I checked and checked and checked, obviously, um, to make sure they're edible. And then I ate them. And they were amazing. They were so much better than shop-bought mushrooms, like off the scale. I why really? are they amazing? They have so much more flavour. What does it taste like? Um, it's kind of, these ones are kind of nutty, mushroomy, obviously, but then like this kind of nutty undertone. And then there's like, yeah. an, like an earthiness to that you don't get very often from shop-bought ones. And I thought, wow. And then about a week later, or around the same kind of time, I think it might have been, I found a cauliflower fungus on a tree that was growing down the drive. And again, my head went, you can eat that so i went and checked and it was that yeah made a risotto out of that one it was fantastic really good risotto um and then bit by bit i realized that where i live there's loads of edible mushrooms i don't know if that's the same everywhere or if i'm just in a lucky place i'm not true mm. but i was like oh you can eat this one too and this one too and this one too and i thought yeah. there's all this free food out here that i've just been missing out of. and then yeah. i tried seps and oh my have you ever tried those no, I actually think they're a very, very beautiful fungus. Yes, they are. Like, so my sort of version of foraging is just finding beautiful funguses. But yeah, um, yeah, I've heard that they're quite. Uh, are they meaty? Yes. Quite, yeah, because they look meaty. <laughs> yeah, they are meaty. It's it's strange actually. They almost have like when you're cooking them, they almost smell like bacon. Right. Weird. Um, but. Yeah, I think I just, oh, and I was like, oh, my God, there's all this amazing stuff to eat. But with foraging, I think you should only take a little bit at any one time. I do get quite, I know, 
and there's a whole argument that you can take basket loads of certain mushrooms and the mycelium is fine and you're not doing them a disservice but yeah. at the same time i think yeah but they can't spread their spores if you go and pick them all either can they so they can't yeah this is one thing i've i've been intrigued to know more about uh so obviously the mycelium is the main sort of where everything's going on underground uh so it's transporting things like is it carbohydrates to plants and stuff or the other way around and that's the sort of nuclei of everything and then the actual mushroom when it comes up is the fruit essentially which then uh, releases spores and that spreads everything so in terms of foraging when's like the best time in terms of a mushroom fruiting can it do harm or is it completely fine surely if it had just come out the fruiting body Mm. and you picked it that's then stopping it from spreading spores yeah yeah so if you could pick it slightly later when it's had a chance to release some spores yeah would that be all right that would be yeah that would be better this is this is the thing the argument the argument goes all over the place about it some people say that they're better picked younger because they've got less um fungi fly damage which is a fair enough point from an eating point of view but like you say the spores can't spread um uh, some people say that if you pick them when they have opened up enough for the spores to um, be falling and you put them in a basket and walk them around a woodland, that's quite good because you're spreading the spores. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I do see a lot of pictures online of people with these great big baskets, particularly of seps that haven't got to the point where they're releasing their spores yet. They're still quite young. Yeah. And I think you can't make that argument with those because they definitely haven't got to that point yet. And I don't think yeah. that's really fair. I think um, yeah. I found some last year. I must have been the first person that was on this track where they'd all popped up. And I was like, oh, my God, like this. I think it was the first time I'd really knowingly seen sex. And I thought, oh. so I grabbed one. I'm having that for my dinner. And even a small one was like, you know, and it hadn't started to release its spores yet. But I left yeah. the rest because I thought they can do their business. Um, but I didn't have a camera with me at the time. So I went back no. a few days later because like, they were in really it was lovely habitat. too. I thought I'd get some nice pictures. And someone had had the whole lot. Every mm. single one had gone. And I thought, so that's none of those have ever had a chance to spread their spores because yeah. the whole lot's been taken and that's i don't really think that's all right personally. yeah i think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about respect and responsibility outdoors and this just comes with education doesn't it i mean where we are here it's fungi mad and that's mostly just because of the soil and it's you know incredibly infertile but in autumn there was just people everywhere harvesting everything and i kind of get it you know if you're mad into foraging and you're trying to be sustainable what worried me is so there's people loads of people picking wax caps which to be honest i'd heard that they weren't that nice to eat i've heard they're not that great to eat either so so i was kind of wondering why they were harvesting them um and whilst things like you know scarlet wax cap and golden wax cap etc are quite common they're still very beautiful (laughs) but also some of the meadows where they were picking was where i found a couple of date wax caps which are really rare and the same with anything i i sort of feel especially those who aren't too up on their their fungi identification could just as easily just swipe them thinking they're another wax cap so I, I think as long as the responsibility and the education comes in with it, 
obviously there already is because people want to know that they're eating something that's not toxic but yeah i think it especially ones which are part of a quite important habitat um it's it's because obviously those wax caps are in a really amazing meadow and the mycelium will be doing amazing things for the plants so you don't want to reduce the amount in there because they're you know it's all working together isn't it so like you say just take a few and leave the rest you don't have to i think i've heard some some kind of worrying stories about people who uh pick fungi not knowing what the species is and they pick the whole lot to show somebody who does know to ask a thread mm. and i think yeah that, Take that a picture. makes you really cross yeah you know you don't yeah. have to do that. that's just there's yeah. no need. okay one last question mm-hmm. what's your favorite place to go to see wildlife what in the whole of the uk in the whole of the uk it could be multiple or oh, yeah or it doesn't necessarily i know the obviously the landscape is quite a big thing for you it doesn't necessarily have to be wildlife related it could just be somewhere that you feel at peace with nature okay um i have a real affinity with mountains and high up yeah. places um I don't know much about Heathland, but considering there's always a lot of night jars in the Heathland near us in the summer, I do rather like Heathland. Yeah. And But one of my favourite places for just wildlife watching is honestly our back garden. Right. I Because I, all sorts of interesting things show up there. We had a, um, yeah. a pied flycatcher once showed up out of the blue. You know, like, and I, we have like a... Um, <laughs> We had a um, stoats, stoats like uh, killing rabbits right underneath the lounge window. Uh, awesome. Tawny owls and their babies, you know. Like I, I find oh brown hair streak, which was amazing when it did land. When I did finally get one that landed, so I think yeah, I, I tend to, I quite like, I I appreciate the importance of staying local sometimes because of the things you can find. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm a big believer in everyone should look out in their gardens or. Yeah you don't have to have a big garden it, wildlife will come to you you just gotta keep an eye out and it's always fun to keep lists of what you've seen in your garden because some crazy things rock up in your garden when we moved here two days in there was a black red star on the back fence oh. um and these things are around us you've yeah. just gotta look for them and i think lockdown did that a lot for people made them open their eyes a little bit um but yeah, even when it comes to spring and stuff, when things are going over, you know, oh, I love that. stuff in the sky. Oh, I love that. So ospreys much. going over and oh. yeah, ospreys is a great one if you if you're sort of trying to sell vismig visible migration to yeah. people. Ospreys is a good one because you could be anywhere to see them because yes, they do like water bodies and yes, they are going to a certain place. But you know, when a bird's got to go one way, it's got to go. It's not going to avoid the city. It's going to go around it and. Uh, I love that. I love just the idea that anything could turn up. I mean, that's bird in any way, but the idea that in your garden, something that's quite, you know, precious to you, something could, especially if you're managing it, managing it especially if you're gardening for wildlife. Which I do. <laughs> the, the idea that something's coming in there to appreciate that you've, you know, it's it's using what you've done to it. Um, that's really nice. I think yeah. that's really nice. Like we, yeah. there's, there's some old barns opposite, and they have swallows in every summer. 
because we have yeah. swallows, we've got hobbies that come over and hunt the swallows. So you can just be yeah. out, like, you know, like digging up the bed. You look up and there's a hobby going, you know, the wow. ballistic, you know, and it comes flying through like a bullet. <laughs> I love hobbies because they're just essentially a big swift. Yeah, they they're are. Just, they really are. Aren't they, they are so hirundine like. And it's funny because I've seen a hobby getting chased by a peregrine. I don't think it was going to eat it. It was just um, sort of like a territory thing. And in that position where the peregrine was chasing the hobby, it looked just like a hobby chasing a swift oh, just oh, because they have that yeah. shape to them. Yeah. Amazing birds. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's a, a good place to end it there. Thank you very much for, for coming on. Um, no awesome to, to virtually meet you. And yeah, we've had a, a cracking conversation there. Yeah. Thank you. And, and keep up the good work. It's amazing. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. And here's your nature notes for the week. As discussed in this episode with Kerry, now is a great time to look for our native wild daffodils. Yes, there are plenty of daffodils in bloom right now, but the vast majority of these are ornamental, non-native variants, or what I like to call naffodils. These naffodils are technically introduced, and similar to the way many people still identify Spanish bluebells as wild bluebells, they completely blind people to what is truly a wild daff. These garish, sulphur-yellow ornamentals are spreading across wild areas of the UK like wildfire, and putting our native plants at risk. Like I say, wild daffodil are suitably scarce nowadays, mainly due to habitat loss, but also cross-breeding with garden varieties. However, even though scarce, they're still quite widespread, so definitely worth having a go at trying to find some local plants. So what we want to be doing is finding a suitable area of broadleaf woodland, or a riverside bank, or historic patch of grassland, and we're looking for a much smaller plant. They often carpet like bluebells do, particularly in woodland settings, so keep an eye for that. They're a paler, creamier yellow overall compared to the rich yellow daffodils of gardens, and their stems and leaves are thinner and more glaucous in coloration. A major ID key is that the flowers often look sad. That's how I view it anyway. Often drooping rather than standing proud, so they'll seem more melancholy from afar, but just oh so beautiful. And the petals are noticeably thin and fragile looking. So good luck guys, let me know how you get on, I hope you can connect with some of these amazing native flora, they're truly a very special and overlooked species. If you do manage to find some wild daffodils, do send your pictures over, I'm always intrigued to know where they're still thriving, and yeah, just beautiful species. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Wilder Skies. One, two, three.